how biased do you think we all are? Uh, whether we like to admit it or not, we all have biases that affect aspects of our lives and the lives of others with whom we interact. But there are ways to at least minimize our bias. This is important for us as enablers of change because we're often working uh, with people in a professional setting and without knowing it, we may be letting our rules of thumb incorrectly guide us. We also use surveys a lot and we've talked about how easy it is to use them in a previous episode. Unfortunately, though, our bias can affect the results and our interpretation of them. That's right, Denise. And you know, there are over two dozen different ways that we're biased. But let's start by talking about our conscious bias, the things we openly know that we're biased about. <laughs> so folks, in case you didn't know, I much prefer dark chocolate to milk chocolate. It's all about the taste in that I like the slightly bitter but rich taste of dark chocolate, Ugh, while milk chocolate is often just too sweet for me. So if I'm shopping, I'll be biased towards buying a rich dark chocolate. Is that wrong? No, because it doesn't really negatively affect other people. <laughs> Unfortunately, my wife likes dark chocolate too. And hey, at least I'm aware of it. Definitely not wrong, John. I like dark chocolate. Dark chocolate is really good. It's the unconscious bias that, is that we need to be more careful about, the ones that unknowingly affect our decisions and actions, the ones we don't realize we have. These cognitive biases are shortcuts in our thinking, which are often really useful, but that can backfire on us. Just to get us thinking about this, here's how our unconscious bias can take effect. We recently celebrated International Women's Day, so it's appropriate to begin with a common bias, gender bias. This is where we have a mental model of the type of role a person of a particular gender most commonly undertakes. If we're in a hospital waiting room and we're told a doctor will see us shortly and a male and a female enter the room, both wearing hospital scrubs, there are those who would naturally assume the doctor was the male. And in the same situation, if we were told a nurse will come and change our bandages soon, many would expect the female to undertake this role. Of course, these assumptions are just wrong. And if we further questioned the person making these assumptions, they would probably freely admit that, of course, doctors and nurses can be male or female. Yet we jump to that gendered assumption because it is quick and easy and we didn't have to think about it. Uh, we've used gender as that last example, but it could be age, appearance, religion, weight, or even someone's accent. The list goes on and on. The important first step is to admit that we have these biases. Otherwise, we'll have a blind spot that will affect our decisions and our actions. We're human and we all make assumptions that make us less rational and less impartial. Back in 2019 at the APEN conference in Darwin, which you'll remember well, Denise, because that's where we launched the Enablers of Change initiative, um, one of the keynote speakers there was Peter Ellerton. Peter is a lecturer at the University of Queensland in critical thinking and is the founding director of the Critical Thinking Project. His talk was really interesting and he highlighted a neat website that provides details of 24 common biases that affect our thinking. We thought it'd be worth highlighting a few of these as part of this episode. 
Sounds good. First up is confirmation bias. This occurs because we tend to favor information that confirms our existing beliefs. In fact, we can often actively seek and remember information that confirms our existing perceptions. As an example, given we've recently been talking about designing a decent survey, confirmation bias when developing a survey could lead us just to use a multi-choice question that lists the responses we expect. Instead, we could use an open-ended question with a comment field. This does mean a bit more work when analyzing responses, but it allows those responding to add different beliefs or ideas. A good compromise we've found is to list the responses we expect will be most common um, in a multi-choice question, but then add a comment field where the respondents can add in their own responses. A related one is belief bias where we're more open to accepting information that supports our existing beliefs, but resist considering the merits of evidence that contradicts our beliefs. Using surveys as an example again, this could mean we'll tend to believe the survey results provide evidence supporting our beliefs and may overlook comments that aren't supporting our position. Next up is the recency bias, where what we think is relevant is heavily influenced by our most recent experience or memory. The best way of countering this bias? Look for the data. We think that's a key job for enablers of change, but then be careful when you get that data. Anchoring bias can occur where the first bit of information we receive and judge then determines our judgment of any subsequent information. There are many others that are referenced on the Cognitive Bias website, so it's worth a look. Let's continue to look at bias in surveys. Non-responder bias occurs when the answers of the survey respondents differ from the potential answers of those who did not respond. The non-respondents may be unwilling or unable to respond to the survey due to a factor that makes them different from those who did respond. An obvious example with online surveys is the lack of computer skills or access to the internet. We talked about a way to test this in a previous episode. Simply contact a sample of the non-respondents, in this case perhaps by telephone, and ask them the survey questions and see whether their responses are significantly different from the original sample. We should also be aware of social desirability bias, the tendency of survey respondents to answer questions in a manner that will be viewed favorably by those reading them. This can lead to an over-reporting of the supposed good behavior and an under-reporting of the supposed bad behavior. Uh, one way to reduce the likelihood of this bias is to use anonymous surveys. Another is to ask questions related to a group of people, for example, to what degree do you think your neighbours correctly separate the rubbish in their recycling bins every time they do it? Oh, Denise, I just never know about those recycling items. You have to look at the real fine print. It's not just the recycling symbol anymore. I'm finding it really confusing. But anyway, finally, another one to consider is the better than average bias or egocentric bias. This is where people are likely to rate themselves as better than others, whether it be their intelligence or sporting prowess. A recent piece of research from Kim et al. provided some useful explanation of this. They explored what people thought of as average and found it was often interpreted as below median ability. 
We've put a link to their paper in the show notes. To illustrate this, one interesting study found that 93% of drivers rated themselves as better than average on the road. Yes, in 1981, the Swedish psychologist Ola Svensson asked American drivers to compare their skills with those of other drivers. Svensson's results showed that 93% of them claimed their skill put them in the top half of all drivers. The way around this for us when devising surveys is to have clear definitions of what we mean. In this case, we might refer to the number of accidents they've had in the preceding five years or the specific skill of reverse parallel parking. Although, John, by the way, who can do that? And, and why would you? You just drive around the block until you find a park that you can drive straight into. Oh, yes, Denise, I'm with you on that one, especially if it's a one-way road and there's parking on both the left and right-hand side, and then you have to do it the opposite way that you'd normally do. Anyway, so in conclusion, let's be aware of our different biases and how they might affect other people and the data we collect. It's just another thing we need to think about to be effective enablers of change. Well, you've heard our thoughts. Now we'd like to hear yours. Add a comment below the blog post and tell us about your experiences with biases, including any tips and further ideas about identifying and then reducing them. Uh, we don't want this just to be a one-way conversation, so please join in by sharing your thoughts and ideas with us. Thanks, folks, for joining us on this Enablers of Change episode. Remember to subscribe to our newsletter if you'd like to know when new episodes are available. And hey, if you liked what you heard, please tell your friends so they too can join the conversation. All the best until we meet again.